morning. We'd like to welcome you to church this morning. Please stand and join us as we sing our praises to God together.
may be seated. I'd like to invite our ushers forward to assist us in the giving of our tithes and offerings.
Please be seated. I so spend a few moments in prayer this morning, uh, thinking about the world, thinking about our own lives as we pray together. If you'd like to come and use the altar rail as a place where you offer your prayers, please join me. Father, there are a lot of things in this world, in our lives, about which we are uncertain. But one thing we know for sure is that you love the world. And your purpose is to redeem the whole world through Jesus Christ. Father, we pray for this world. We pray for the nations of the world, the people of the world. Some of the nations are large, some are small. Some have great influence, some are hardly noticed. Some are prosperous, some are ravaged by disease, famine, and drought. Some exist in relative peace. Some know virtually nothing but war. Father, we pray for this world. We pray that you will bring your grace to bear continually on this world. And we pray that you will help the world to know who you are and your desires of love and grace and transformation. Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters around the world who are sharing the gospel with others. People who have left what is comfortable and have gone to places that are new and uncertain. We think especially today of Leah Doty and and the Seldons as they prepare to go to Thailand and Haiti. And we ask for your grace upon them as they prepare, as they raise support, as they uh, do what they need to do to go and follow your leading. Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters who live and worship in places of great opposition. We think particularly of the church in Vietnam. They've been through so much. So much pain, struggle, opposition, war. We pray, Father, for your grace upon the Christians in this nation. That you will protect them, that you will give them courage, that they will know your grace in their lives. And we pray that you will so reflect, be reflected in their lives. That the nation of Vietnam and even those who vehemently oppose them might see who you are and open their hearts to you and find your grace. Father, we pray that you will help us in the needs right around us here. 
We pray, Father, that you will comfort those who are grieving. We pray that you will heal the sick. And we think especially today of Beulah Avery and Jill Tyson. We pray for Priscilla Waltz, Vesta Mullen, Tim Nichols, Bruce Brenneman. Pray for Bill Roski and for Bevrette and Micah Christensen, for Linda Roth and Isla Shea, for Dick Gould and Edna Howard and Crystal Blake and Emily Crickler, and for others for whom we are burdened today. We ask for your healing grace in each of them. Father, we pray that you will open our eyes to your world. We pray that you will fill our hearts with the compassion of Christ. And we pray that you will help us to see others as you see. Help us to care about the needs of the world, the needs that are right around us and the needs that are far from us. Father, let Christ continue to give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to love. We pray all of this through Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, our coming King. Amen. Good morning, friends. Please uh, rise for the reading of the gospel. Today's reading comes from Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 40. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Blessed be the word of the Lord. Before you're seated, uh, share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship today. This is our uh, missions weekend, and uh, it's a weekend when we uh, highlight uh, the work of God in the world uh, through our church, and uh, it's not the only time we want to think about that, but it's just 
highlighted this week, and there are a couple things to mention to you. In your, there are a number of inserts in your bulletin, but one of them is a, a card, Faith Promise card. And uh, we are, our goal is to raise $27,500 over this next year. In, this is in addition to what we budget uh, for missions. But uh, this is something that uh, we want you to pray about. Ask God what kind of steps of faith he might have for you to supply whatever he leads you to uh, put down on the card. Uh, You don't need to worry about it being some huge amount, but just whatever you sense God prompting you to give, to trust him, uh, to supply in order to uh, be a part of the work in the world. We're going to begin collecting these next week. So uh, be thinking and praying this week about what God may want you to do. Uh, We are also uh, privileged this morning to welcome Dr. George Beals uh, to our church. He's going to be sharing in just a moment. He is the Director of Church Development at World Hope International, and he has been in this role for not quite a year. Uh, Before that, he served for 25 years as the missions pastor at Central Wesleyan Church in Holland, Michigan. And in that role, he directed the church's global ministries, uh, managing an outreach budget of over $1.7 million dollars. And so he has he's made, done many trips overseas, has a real heart for the world, and we are excited to have him with us here this morning, and I'm going to invite him to come now and to share with us. Thank you, Wes, and glad to be here as part of Houghton Wesleyan Church. It was a few months ago that uh, Kevin Austin, who I've known for many years, our church supported him as a missionary, he invited me to come to HWC, and I was kind of interested, what would I share at the Houghton Women's Club? And then my wife reminded me, it's probably Houghton Wesleyan Church that you're being invited to. And uh, so I thought, well, I could do that. And uh, I serve as part of World Hope International, which is the relief and development partner of the Wesleyan Church. And this church has, been, has a great history, and I'm so thankful for your work globally, for what you're doing around the world. And it's great to be a part of, of this church this, this weekend as part of this uh, mission's uh, emphasis, and glad to be a part of this heritage with you. I want to introduce you to my family so I get to see them as well. There's my wife, and when I went off to college, uh, Christian college, and I met her, and I said, where are you from? And and I said, what church do you go to? And she said, I go to the Wesleyan Church. I never heard of the Wesleyan Church. I called my mom and she said, it's okay. Uh, there are, you know, it's not a cult. And uh, she didn't know that I would marry into the Wesleyan Church. And uh, it's a great evangelism program by the church. And uh, so we've been married 30 some years. And, uh, but we have two sons. And uh, there, there's our whole family when we're all together uh, in the summertime. Uh, the son in the light-colored shirt, Evan, he's 23, and he attends uh, Michigan State University. He's a Ph.D. grad student there, and so he's out of my hands for a few years. And then uh, his older brother, Eric, is in the dark blue shirt, and Eric is a graduate of Houghton College. And this is where, it's the only school he applied to, this is where he wanted to go. And I was excited when he wanted to come here to Houghton because uh, it is, at that time, it had uh, four women for every guy who attended. And I thought, okay, this is good. You know, this is good. Four to one odds. And so when he graduated and came back and he was not dating, engaged, or married, I, you know, Eric, what, I've wasted my money. Uh, 
forget the education part. And, and he, I said, Eric, the odds are so good. How did you get out of school without even, now you're not even dating? He said, Dad, the odds are good, but the goods are odd. <laughs> and, and I said, Eric, look in the mirror. You're not all that great a catch, you know. <laughs> You know, you should have found someone here. This is where it was going to happen. So I, I don't know. His plans, uh, he is uh, now teaching in Korea. He's been there for almost a year. And this is one of his classes. He's a six foot two American teaching preschoolers English. And uh, so sometimes I wonder what kinds of things is he teaching them? What kind of English words? But uh, so he's, he'll be back in a, in a month or so. We're not quite sure. We're not sure when he's going to come back. We just wait for the call from the airport. And I'm home, you know. So when we were packing him up last year, I said, I am so sad, Eric. This is the last time you're going to live at home. And he said, no, Dad, I, I might come back. I said, no, no, listen. I said, I'm really sad. This is the last time you're living at home. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. But he hasn't done other things that I had planned in his life. So we'll see what happens. But I want to bring you up to date on uh, Ebola relief work in Sierra Leone. It's been in the news a lot. It has consumed a lot of my thinking, my time in the last year, uh, working with World Hope International. And we have 100 nationals working for us in Sierra Leone. We only have one American who works over there for World Hope, and we have 100 nationals. And they're just working a lot of their time is just doing Ebola care. We're sending 10 containers of medical supplies and well drilling equipment and all sorts of other things that go in, uh, in just taking care of people. Those 10 containers, coming, uh, half of them coming through the state of Michigan from my hometown, uh, is the resource jumping off place. And those 10 containers carry, carry $2.5 million worth of material. And some of you in this church have helped to contribute towards that to make that possible. We're drilling wells, freshwater wells in uh, clinics and hospitals so people have clean water. We're helping hospitals redesign wards so they can handle Ebola patients. We're uh, working, uh, providing a fleet of ambulances to carry people out of their village and to a treatment center so they have some chance of survival. We realized that the farmers were not going into the fields because they didn't want to be close to anyone. And so we, we know that in a few months from now, there's going to be a food shortage. And that's one of the things that relief and development workers think about is food security. So we're working with one of the engineering departments at Penn State University designing uh, low-cost, high-efficient greenhouses so that farmers can own their own little greenhouse and can extend their growing season three times and can work in the security of knowing who's in the greenhouse with them. They'll feel more like going out and working and growing more food for their people. We've sent an American nurse over to Sierra Leone. I think she's there right now. Again, uh, she's a, a former missionary kid from Sierra Leone, now a nurse, and she is training healthcare workers about Ebola. Uh, we're working with Harvard University on a, a case study of how did this Ebola crisis spread so we can stop it from happening again the next time. Educating communities on how to stop the spread of it and working with their culture, uh, understanding them so they can understand how they have spread it and how to stop that. But you folks have prayed and you folks have given 
And we're seeing a reduction of Ebola now. Uh, The World Health Organization announced about two weeks ago there are fewer cases each week being reported. So that's a good sign. We're making progress. And there are people who are survivors. And when they survive, World Hope provides a pack for them. Not just a pack, a whole pack. Everything from a new mattress to uh, new towels, sheets, uh, things in their home. Give them a whole set of new things because everything else had been taken out of their homes and destroyed because of Ebola. So God is working and God's doing some good things there. We still need help. We still need your prayers that God would intervene in this. And so I thank you for your help in this. Um, Everyone can play a part in this. Some students at a college just about an hour north of here, Roberts Wesleyans, won't, won't say what name. Hey, I'm loyal here. Come on. I got the shirt and everything. I got the Houghton shirt. Um, but they have, this last weekend, those students up north raised $5,000 for Ebola care for World Hope International to use. So lots of people are finding different ways to serve in different things. Well, I come from a large church. It's what Americans call a mega church. It wasn't that way uh, 30 years ago when I, when I first came there. And I just watched it grow. And God is blessed. But I realized that there are lots of different things. That the greatness of a church is not in its seating capacity, but in its sending capacity. So you never know what's in a church of any size that what they're sending out and reaching the world. And this church is reaching the world. So I'm thankful for it. Well, I'd like to start with a question. My life is just filled with questions. My parents have lots of questions about my life. Um, But I, I question things like, why do we park on driveways and drive on parkways? I spent a lot of time in class pondering that instead of thinking about what the class was about. Why is the word abbreviation so long? doesn't make any sense. And then I thought about thesaurus. You know, there's not another word for thesaurus. There should be for that. You have to think about that for a moment. My wife wants to know why I can't learn to fold the towels so they fit in the cupboards correctly. We've lived in the same house 24 years. Certainly I could figure out, but I, I can't figure that out. I wonder what people in China call their good dishes. I'm not sure what they, what they say there. And why did it take me so long to get through school? Probably because I was thinking of questions like this. I've always felt that having the right questions could provoke us to think about the right answers of where we're supposed to go. It, wasn't, it was just months ago that I finished my doctorate degree. I, having a doctorate, does not, I learned, does not make you any smarter than anyone else. It just shows you have tenacity. You can make it through anything that the academic world gives you. And they really throw it on. And as I was going through my doctorate work in graduate school of international development, they said, you're going to have to read a lot of books. But there's quicker ways to read books. And so they gave us little tricks about just reading like the introduction at the end of the book as well. You know? and, uh, you know, and then you decide, do I want to read more on this book? And I learned, you know, sometimes you can get the theme of the book just by looking at the title. And I came across a book not too long ago, about a year ago, and and it had this in the subtitle. This wasn't even the title of the book. The subtitle was, What Does God Expect of Us? I thought, that's an interesting question. I didn't buy the book. 
Um, I didn't read the book. But I just thought, that's an interesting question. What does God expect of us? Now, on the surface, there's some simple answers. And if you've grown up in church, you've gone to Sunday school, we can think of some of the simple answers that maybe that's what God wants. We should believe the right things. So what are the right things? We should go to church and worship regularly. This is important. We should fellowship with other Christians. We should have small groups. We should be in community with each other. We should read our Bibles daily. We should pray. We should avoid sins. Those are all good things to do and to avoid. But is that all that God wants of us? Well, I want to tell you, as I thought more about what is it that God expects of us. And the moment that that came to life for me was on a trip to Zambia, Africa. To sit outside of some huts. And Grandma Beatrice held her children, her grandchildren. These were her grandchildren. And the youngest one was so weak that he couldn't even play. He couldn't run around with his older brother and sister. And as the children sat there, Grandma Beatrice told us the story of these kids. How their parents had died quite a while ago of AIDS. And these children were left alone. And I remember sitting there in the heat and the humidity and the sweat rolling off me. I was not used to that. West Michigan is a lot like weather like this. Uh, I'm, I'm used to this. I can learn to bundle up. You can only take off so much clothes. And I was sitting there listening to her story about these kids. And how the 10-year-old, the oldest, was left alone to, to manage the household. To manage his brother and sister. To take care of them. I saw two piles of stones outside of their home, their hut. And I asked foolishly almost, what are, what are these stones for, these piles? And they, I was told, this is where their parents were buried, their mom and dad. And I thought every time these kids left their hut, they walked by these two piles. And it's the last place they saw their parents. And they were buried there. It was a constant reminder that they were left alone. It was months later that Grandma Beatrice in another village had heard what had happened and had made her way to come and be with them. But for quite a while, these boys, these boys and girls had been left on their own. I thought, wow, I was from a little town in Michigan. I sat in my office and I was a world away from a situation like this in Zambia. I had not experienced anything like this. I had a bubble around me that had isolated myself from instances like this. But here I was out of my comfort zone. I couldn't ignore it. I didn't want to be in a place where poverty and suffering had real names. There were eyes that stared back at me. And they were experiencing the poverty of the world. Tragedies like AIDS, orphans, and starving children rarely entered into my world. But when they did, I could turn the magazine page. I could change the channel. Maybe I would write a check and let someone else take care of it. And I would be done. But here they were looking back at me and saying, what are you doing? World Hope calls these kind of Households, child-headed households. Three words that should not go in one sentence together. 
child-headed households. How can that be? That these children are left totally alone. They lived in a place with no running water, no electricity. They didn't even have a mattress in their hut. There were some dirty blankets I saw pushed to the side. And this is how they lived. Until Grandma Beatrice had come along, but she had nothing to offer them. Before that, they had no one to make sure that they had eaten anything in the day. It was just up to them. There was no father to show them how to grow up to be young men. No mother to cuddle them and and hold them when they were hurt. For quite a while, they were left alone. And so Grandma Beatrice told us their story. My team had brought some oil, cooking oil, some cornmeal, so that they could have a meal for this amount of stuff would last them for a month. We told her it was because of the love of Jesus Christ. Because people in America had been so moved that they said they wanted to help. And so we brought that to them. As we told about the love of Jesus, Grandma Beatrice stopped and she said, this story is important, isn't it? And I thought, yes, it is. And she said, if it's so important, why did it take you so long to come? And it hit me again that I was out of my element. I was out of my place that I should be. I'd never experienced a child-headed household and what that would mean to a people who had never even heard of Jesus Christ. And I thought, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me for isolating myself and not realizing, though I've seen it in the news, I've heard about it, but I kind of pushed it out. I knew there were orphans, but I didn't know how many and how they actually lived. And I felt angry, angry at myself that I had not let this experience enter into my life and just let it be something at an arm's length away. Someone else will take care of that. After getting over being angry with myself, I I got angry at the church. Where was the church when there was such a crisis? When there were orphans like this who have to live alone? Where is the church standing up? And and I realized there, there were not only these orphans, these orphans represented hundreds in this village. And there must have been hundreds of villages like this in Zambia and hundreds more across, thousands more across Africa. Where was the church in this situation? And I thought, where are the Christians? And I thought, where's God? And I said, God, how can you allow this to happen? And so distinctly, I heard God say, how do you allow it to happen? Wow. It was up to us. We were God's hands and feet. We were the ones bringing the meal to Grandma Beatrice and her grandchildren. Surely the churches should be responding to human suffering and need. Just a few months ago, we went through the Christmas story. You remember in Luke chapter 2, we read about that the angels came to the shepherds and said they bring good news of great joy for all people. Good news, the gospel, for all people? even for these orphan kids in Zambia? God wants that message to go out. So what does God expect of us? That's the question we want to ponder this morning. Perhaps the most powerful verse in the New Testament uh, on this is Matthew 25, verses, uh, beginning with verse 34. 
Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and invited me in. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer, I tell you the truth. Just as you did it for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. The least of these. Maybe the church in America, there's a slightly different, more irreverent version of this Matthew 25 passage. And Richard Stearns in his book, The Hole in Our Gospel, puts it this way. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me bottled water. I was a stranger and you wanted me deported. I was sick and you pointed out the behaviors that led to my sickness. I was in prison and you said you're getting what you deserve. Well, that may be the picture that we have. The answer to the question of what God expects of us is, is pretty simple. is to love him and to love others. To love God with our whole heart and our soul and our mind. And the first commandment is like that. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. God's expectations are pretty simple. To love God and to love others. In another passage in the Old Testament, in Micah, it just makes it so clear. What does the Lord require of you? Pretty simple. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. To love God and to love others. In the end, we're called to live out the love of God for the Savior. We are his hands and feet to the world. We come and we bring something of comfort, meal, water, clothing, so that they live a healthy life on this side of eternity, so that we can tell them about the good news of Jesus Christ to bring them to eternal life on the other side of eternity. Mother Teresa once said, I am a little pencil in the hand of a writing God who is sending out a love letter to the world. You see, the gospel or the good news is about love. It's about God's love expressed to the world. Love in action. God's demonstrating his love to the hurting world through us. Then are we responding? Are we acting out God's love? One of the most common mistakes is for us to believe that we have nothing of significance to offer. We're not rich enough. We're not smart enough. We're not skilled enough. We're not spiritual enough. Our church is not big enough to make a difference for what's going on in the world. The point is that God doesn't expect any of us to do the impossible. That's his job. He wants us to just get in the game, to be involved with him. He calls us to do our part. Mother Teresa also said, 
We can do no great things, only small things, with great love. Well, this last January, it was, just, it was a little over a year ago, that I took a team from my home church to Sierra Leone to see what was going on, to see how our money was being invested. And I took some different leaders of our church, someone from the elder board, one of the deacons. And one of the deacons was Les. And uh, Les is there in the white hat. And uh, we're on one of the pineapple farms that uh, World Hope runs. And Les is a truck driver. He's not a truck driver. He owns a trucking company now and warehouses. And as his family business grew and he just developed more, God just blessed him. So everywhere Les looked, he looked at trucks. Here's, uh, in fact, he's talking with Steve. Steve is a, um, a graduate of Houghton College as well and was working for us there in uh, Sierra Leone and learning about pineapples. And Steve showed us a big military kind of truck. And we said, how do you use that? And he said, well, we go out in the villages and collect pineapples or papayas, bring them to our juicing factory. We juice it. We send this juice to Europe and Brazil is where we're selling it now. Like, that's pretty amazing. But Les is seeing more than the truck. And he sees the hitch on the back. And he says, this thing will haul, can haul a trailer? They said, yes. He said, I think I have a trailer that would fit on the back of this in my backyard. It's a 40-foot-long trailer. I, I, I got to go see Les's backyard. Uh, what's he got in the backyard there? And he said, could you use that? They said, oh, yeah, we could hook that up to this old military truck and then we could haul more pineapples. Les said, I'll send it over my, this trailer to you. I can put it in a container. Well, that's interesting. It turned out to be a lot harder job because the, the trailer that Les wanted to send over was built uh, as a government trailer to be a rocket launcher. So the government doesn't like it when you send military stuff out of the country. And, and all Les knew was that it was just a flatbed trailer. That's all it was to him. Didn't realize that it had been designed for this. And so, so lots of red tape and finding Christians in government and who said, we want to help you make this happen. And so Les got this trailer to Sierra Leone to haul pineapples. That's what we thought. And it wasn't a few months later that the Ebola crisis erupted. And Les says, you know what? I run a trucking company. If you get stuff donated through World Hope, send it to Michigan to Holland, Michigan, our little town, then I will get it sent to the coast. And I'll get it on trailers and get it shipped over to Sierra Leone. And we said, well, that's great, Les, but how do we move it from the port out to the villages, to McKinney and Kamakwe and Babalibana? How do we get it out there? He said, you know that trailer I sent over? It will hold a 40-foot container, which is about the length of, of this platform up here, a container. He said, that trailer that we sent over can be used now for Ebola work. And so God had had all these things in motion. I just saw a truck. Les saw, I could put a trailer on the back of that. And God said, I'll need that at just the right time. You know, when you get in uh, 40s and older, you begin to realize, you know, I'm really good at something. This is what I was designed to do. This is why God created me. And I tell people, you know what you were made for. Now you need to find out what you were made for was made for. Why did God make you that way? 
In fact, I spent my whole doctoral dissertation studying how God is using Christian business people all over the world. Not to be missionaries, but to be business professionals. And God is using those people all over the world. Last July, I was in Africa to help dedicate a well, a couple wells. And the assistant to the governor of the state we were in went with us. And uh, there's our, our gathering around one of the wells. And the assistant to the governor said, oh, you have some preachers in your group. Make sure that you share from the Bible. I, I don't think the man was a Christian, but he wanted to make sure that we shared from the Bible because he knew that we were believers in Christ. And he said to the people there, this well does not belong to the government. It doesn't belong to World Hope. It now belongs to this community. It is yours. You are responsible for taking care of it. You're responsible to keep it clean and to fix it. One of our pastors got up and shared about Jesus being the living water. And this water that you now have can symbolize the living water that Jesus wants to give to you. And reminded that there are hundreds of these wells going in. And so in the midst of poverty and helplessness, we can come alongside and help people. People doing what they do best for the kingdom. Some of you have, from this church have given that have helped us to dr- drill wells, freshwater wells. Let me just share with you just a little bit about what, what one of the wells does. One well provides enough clean drinking water for 600 people. You save people walking hours to get to their dirty water. And, and when they get that water back, it's not very clean. This kid still gets sick. But now they don't have to do that. The hours of not getting the water means more kids can spend more time in school. Kids spending time in school means better education. It brings up the academic level of the whole community. And academic level means a better economy for the people. Little children don't get sick and die, and now they have clean water. And the local church has a way to present the gospel by talking about the living water of Jesus Christ. Beyond all of this are lives that are changed, a family, a widow, a little child that doesn't get sick, a farmer who has water for his crops. Last time I was in Sierra Leone, uh, last June I was, I met a pastor of a little church. And his church has been transformed. And in the midst of Sierra Leone going through the Ebola crisis, they are transforming their community. And he said that a church that lives within its four walls is no church at all. We need to be beyond these walls. We've just gathered here to worship, but we scatter to serve Christ. Houghton Wesleyan Church has gotten out beyond its four walls. It's known in the denomination and across the United States as a missions-minded church, as a global church. But let me challenge you. What is next? Think of the possibilities for this church. What does God expect of you? And what does God expect of the church? Can one church be a world-changing church? Well, 2,000 years ago, a few men, a few women loved Jesus. And from that, they changed the world because of the love of Jesus Christ. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for this church. I thank you for what you're doing through them, through their faith promise giving, their giving for missions, for watching over them and being 
the God who loves them. And I pray that you would work in their hearts and lives to understand better of what God expects of us. Thank you for this time together to ponder, to think about your mission for us, being your hands and feet in the world. Thank you for this day, in Jesus' name, amen. Please stand and join us as we sing together. Oh, church, arise and put your the benediction. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and 
forevermore. Amen. Thank you.